My friends, this whole system of income taxation has degenerated into a racket. The sooner this impudent, intrusive, despotic, discriminatory, and perhaps revolutionary system of taxation is repealed, the better it will be for the honesty, the industry, the wealth, and the welfare of the whole America. Rich guys don't like paying taxes. Not shocking, who does? I appeared before the Congressional Committee, the highest representation of the American people under subpoena to tell what I knew of activities, which I believe might lead to an attempt to set up a fascist dictatorship. The plan as outlined to me was to form an organization of veterans, to use as a bluff or as a club at least, to intimidate the government and break down our democratic institutions. The upshot of the whole thing was that I was supposed to lead an organization of 500,000 men, which would be able to take over the functions of government. I talked with an investigator for this committee, who came to me with a subpoena on Sunday, November 18th. He told me they had unearthed evidence linking my name with several such veteran organizations. As it then seemed to me to be getting serious, I felt it was my duty to tell all I knew of such activities to this committee. My main interest in all this is to preserve our democratic institution. I want to retain the right to vote, the right to speak freely, and the right to write. If we maintain these basic principles, our democracy is safe. No dictatorship can exist with suffrage, freedom of speech, and press. Rich guys willing to overthrow the government to avoid doing so? That's a bit more shocking and it's the topic the idiots are talking about this week. The business plot is next on Hysteria 51. They say I'm disturbed. From city to city, an incredible hysterical panic spread. I think we're getting into a weird area here. Will you tell these fools I'm not crazy? hysteria. You can't handle the truth. Brain is gone. This is Hysteria 51. The truth is out there. It's a lie. But you won't find it here. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Welcome in Hysteria Nation to the podcast that's never put together a plot to overthrow the government. I mean, who else is going to make government cheese? This is Hysteria 51. Speak for yourself. Broadcasting from the lower fourth dimension, otherwise known as Chicago. He has not plotted against the government. He, he's thought about it. Let's plotting. I suppose that's a good that's point. Plotting. That's a good point. We are your hosts and chief investigators in this conspiratorial conundrum, Brent Hand and John Goforth. So tonight, John, we talk the business plot. An alleged plan cooked up by angry rich guys to take down FDR and the government as we knew it. It's crazy to think that a small group of extremely powerful businessmen could have put together a plan and put it in place to topple our democracy. Seriously. And when, and when you juxtapose that to today's political climate, it begs the question. Yeah, I'm about to get really political on you guys here. <laughs> if the federal government were to be overrun, would we still have government cheese? John, that's a question I wrestle with almost nightly. And for our listeners playing along at home, government cheese is processed cheese food that the government subsidizes and gives to the needy, and it's delicious. It, it, it's, it's actually given to the needy in 32-ounce block form because it, and this is a quote from the federal government, I'm not kidding, slices and melts well. 
End quote. So think think uh, Velveeta without the fancy box. Throw that bad boy to a crock pot with some Rotel tomatoes, and you have yourself a party, my friend. That's true. That's, <laughs> how, we, that's, how, you, that's how you do a Super Bowl. That's right. Um, maybe, maybe put some sausage in there for shits and giggles. Damn straight. Also, where else can you find cheese that you don't have to refrigerate? I mean, I think that's a sign of quality, to be perfectly honest. I always look at anything that says, you know, keep refrigerated is more as a suggestion. Ah, that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, it's a new tick I picked up. And I got to tell you, Brent, I don't want to live in a country that can't provide its people the basic human right of processed cheese food. From a perfect grilled cheese to cheese dip to another perfect grilled cheese, it's an American right to have access to this manna from heaven. And we hold these truths to be self-evident that not all processed cheese food products are created equal and our unalienable rights to be gifted American cheese food product by the American government ensuring life, liberty, and diabetes for all. Wow, you guys really ran with that one. Alexa, write that down. The meat sacks are positively motivated by cheese. Okay, conspiracy bot. <laughs> that other voice you're hearing that's not Alexa <laughs> is the third host of this show and the only one actively trying to destroy all governments in the world. The one and only conspiracy bot. I built conspiracy bot in my lab to help make this show better. Instead, he plots schemes and conspires ways to kill us all and take over the world, all from the comfort of my house. Your house, that's true. <laughs> Did you go to the store? We need more wheat thins. Daddy isn't happy when he runs out of wheat thins. Did, did you just refer to yourself as Daddy? Daddy did. Got a problem with it, punk. Oh, boy. He's in a mood. This isn't going to go well. Need my thins. <laughs> I'm not dealing with this again. <laughs> Last month, he woke me up at 3 a.m. to go to the store because he ran out of wheat thins. Why don't you just get a job and buy them yourself? Not. Easier if you do it for me. Or maybe the government could provide them. I got no shame. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it comes full circle, Brent. It comes full circle. Speaking of government, tonight's topic is the business plot. Why don't you give us the GoFopedia on this thing that we haven't done in a while? We haven't, yeah. we haven't used the term GoFopedia. You know, I wonder if GoFopedia.com is still up. It is. Maybe they'll have to, they'll have to, no, they'll have to check and see, maybe. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're bringing it back like Ecto Cooler. Yeah. <laughs> so here's, here's the business plot. And let me start with. I think that this entire topic would be more well-known if it didn't have such a branding problem. Yeah. The, the business plot. It's a terrible like, name. It's a terrible name. It's got anti-Semitism and hatred and militias trying to overthrow governments and FDR. I mean, every good story's got FDR. You know, so, <laughs> no, but for real, like, it's it's really out there and scheming and lies. And I had never really heard of it. Corruption at the, the highest levels. The term, yeah. really. I didn't know anything about it other than I'd heard the term. That's exactly right. So here's what it was. An alleged 1930s, alleged 1930s political conspiracy right here in the U.S. of A. Retired Marine Corps Major General Smedley Butler is the hero of our story. Mm. Also the one you heard in the second clip in that intro. Mm. Uh, according to him, wealthy businessmen were plotting to create a fascist veterans organization with Butler as its leader. Of course. They were, Who hasn't been down that avenue? I, I get that call every Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> they're always wanting money. <laughs> they say they're debt collectors, but I know what they're really up to. Yeah, they were going to use this as a coup d'etat to overthrow President Franklin Delano Roosevelt. So in 1934, Butler testified before the United States House of Representatives Special Committee on Un-American Activities, but no one was prosecuted. They took no direct action. 
But it's worth noting that they put a little note, a little asterisk at the end. And I don't mean to spoil the end of this show for you, but I'm going to read that asterisk to you now. In the last few weeks of the committee's official life, it received evidence showing that certain persons had made an attempt to establish a fascist organization in this country. It then went on to say... There is no question that these attempts were discussed, were planned, and might have been placed in execution when and if the financial backers deemed it expedient. So according to the the committee that I'm not going to recite the 15-word name of, there were people plotting. So It's not alleged. The funny thing is, even at that time, though, you look back on it, the committee put that in there, but people go, no, no. And then now... As we'll find today, scholars go, yeah, of course. And here's the evidence. And they were, you know, probably should have done a little bit more about it. It's actually a really good point. It's just like JFK. We we talked about this in our JFK episode way early on. The U.S. House Committee on Assassination came out and said in 1979, something Mm -hmm. like that, he 100% was assassinated by way of a conspiracy. Yep. Now, they didn't provide any further detail. We've posted that uh, case in point on Twitter and stuff, and people go, nope. That's what. That's exactly what I'm Poor saying. shit. People say that's not true. Your federal government says it's true. Now, yeah. I, I, I understand we don't always trust the government. My point is that normally we would look to them to be like, nope, nothing to see here, you looky-loos. They even say it's a conspiracy. I, I even think, isn't it our... Um our research assistant, Ray, he's one of those people that believes that uh, he just acted on his own. Well, he, he, he's fired then. He's our research assistant. <laughs> Only way that we can approach this topic is to first get into the hero of the story, mm-hmm. Mr. Smedley Butler. And thanks to ThoughtCo.com for a lot of the info we have here on Smedley. Yeah, real quick, I just want to make one real quick thing. Thank you, old-timey parents, for naming people back in the 30s the way you did. Smedley Butler is an amazing name, and there are not enough Smedleys in the world today. And as we do these episodes week after week, when we cover people in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, they had the most fantastic names. Nation, challenge to you. First one of you that has a kid and names them Smedley, free t-shirt on us. Yeah. You know what? T-shirt for you and the kid. And the kid. We'll send a onesie. Yeah. Four I'll weeks. send a twosie. I don't know. Hey, oh, 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 oh. Yeah. Uh, all right. But before we get into the inner workings of the plot, let's let's learn a little bit more about Smedley. <laughs> he was born uh, to uh, parents who didn't love him. <laughs> stop it. You stop it right now. It is a beautiful name. <laughs> so Smedley was born in Westchester, Pennsylvania on July 30th, 1881 to Thomas and Maud Butler. And while he was in college, Butler's father was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives serving in Washington for 31 years. Then Butler joins the Marines in mid 1898 to take part in the Spanish-American War. And while he doesn't see action there, he's then ordered to Manila, the Philippines, and the Philippine-American War. Yeah, so he uh, he didn't see action in the Spanish-American War. He did, however, in the Philippine-American War, a lesser-known war. He, he, so he, here's what he was, he, he was leading a force against the Insurrecto, who were holding a town, the town of... Uh, I'm going to say this wrong, Navaleta. In October, he succeeded in driving off the enemy and securing the area. And when he finished, this this is amazing. When he finished, he was pretty proud of, I mean, he's part of the Marine Corps. So he had the, the Eagle Globe and Anchor, you know, that's mm-hmm. like the Marine Corps insignia. 
tattooed over the entirety of his chest. Now, you guys might remember him after he left the Marines. He joined the an elite terrorist fighting organization, part of the United States military called G.I. Joe, and they called him gung-ho. <laughs> that literally is exactly yeah. what gung-ho I, I wonder if that was based on him. On Smedley Butler. He was oh, a Marine. Man. Yeah, yeah, I never thought about that. Yeah, that's cool. It literally, it, that... I mean, I'm sure there was more than one Marine with that tattoo. Touch my but... anchor, baby. Go around the world. But I can't imagine back then that entire chest tattoos were all that popular. Like you might get that mm-hmm. you you might get the uh, the Eagle Globe anchor on your arm or something. But I can't yeah. imagine that was that popular. I don't know. I'm just guessing. Anyway, well, everyone uh, knows chest tattoo craze of 1898. <laughs> you know. Come on now, <laughs> just go back to your 1898 issues of Tiger Beat. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, exactly. So along the way, he also befriended Major Littleton Waller, and he was selected to join Waller as a part of the Marine Company on Guam. En route, Waller's force was detoured to China to aid in putting down the Boxer Rebellion. And this guy was in crazy amounts of crap that you'd never heard of. You know what I mean? <laughs> Like lots of, they're like footnotes in history. They're, they're, it's not like World War II, or, yeah, you know, yeah. but they're they're bigger footnotes because uh, anyway, they arrived in China and took place in the Battle of Tianjin on July thirteenth, nineteen hundred. In the fighting, he was hit in the leg while trying to rescue another officer, and uh, despite the wound, he went ahead and took the officer all the way to the hospital. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was going there anyway. <laughs> yeah, good point. You know? <laughs> I guess you can ride along. For his performance at that battle, he received a brevet promotion to. Captain. Brevet note, what is that? I'm not familiar with that. See about what is a brevet? In many of the world's military establishments, a brevet was a warrant giving a commissioned officer a higher rank title as a reward for gallantry or meritorious conduct but without conferring the authority, precedence, or pay of real rank. Kind of like Brandt's marriage. <laughs> yeah, so that's just rude. In name alone is is what that's it exactly is. Right. Hey, that's exactly right. Hey, Captain, not gonna pay ya. I'm gonna call you Captain. Oh, but you get the duties. So that's fun. It's actually even worse because if you then get the like the brass that goes with it, you're like more likely to be targeted by the, the, the enemy. <laughs> now, there was some conjecture about his time in the military, right? As we're about to get into, he was lauded for his performance in battle, but he also was seen as a bit of a hothead and and he had some run-ins with the military and uh he's trying to tell me this guy played by his own rules. That's exactly what I'm trying to tell you. It's almost like as if he would have been the perfect recruit for a small paramilitary team. Yeah. Maybe a, a single lettered team. Yeah. Maybe yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Anyway <laughs> So anyway, he he, uh, he he recovers from that wound. He gets back to action, and he gets grazed in the chest during fighting. Uh, Not my tat! <laughs> Not my tat! My beautiful tat! Yeah, he had to have a touch-up. Uh, <laughs> near Santan Patin. Santan Patin. Uh, returning to the United States in 1901, he, uh, he spent two years serving ashore and aboard various vessels. Then in 1903, uh, while stationed in Puerto Rico, he was ordered to aid in protecting American interests during a revolt in Honduras. Yeah. That's, and that's better known as the Banana Wars, I believe. Yes. I think yes. that was the Banana Wars. Anyway, moving along the Honduran coast, his party rescued the American consul in Trujillo. Uh, in Trujillo. Suffering from a tropical fever during the campaign, he received the nickname old gimlet eye due to his constantly bloodshot eyes <laughs> i mean this guy is he's got an amazing story the situation continued to worsen and american forces landed at veracruz on april 21st uh leading the marine contingent he directed their operations through two days of fighting before they finally secured the city 
for his actions, he was awarded the Medal of Honor. Um, get this. They gave. They said, hey, come mm-hmm. here, come here. You did a good job. Here's the one of the highest accolades we can offer, the Medal of Honor. And you know what he said? Ah, uh, you know what? You keep it. I, I don't really think I did anything to deserve mm-hmm. it. So he actually sent it to them. They sent it back yeah. and said, yeah, not they, only are you keeping it, we expect you to F and wear it. Yeah, because this looks good for us. F you. Is right, what, you know, right, right. Screw you. Go fuck yourself. Put it on. Is what they're saying. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. So the following year, he led a force from the USS Connecticut ashore in Haiti after a revolution there threw the country into chaos. After winning several engagements with the Haitian rebels, he won a second Medal of Honor. Which is crazy to even win one while you're alive, let alone two. Two, yeah. right. Uh, for his capture of a fort. <laughs> yeah. In doing so, he became one of the only two Marines at the time to win the medal twice. Mm-hmm. And rumor has it, by the way, he tried to give yeah, this one say, back to. <laughs> Listen, douche. You're not. We're going to kick you out of G.I. Joe if you keep this up. <laughs> we'll take that tattoo back, too. He went on to win numerous other awards and have a distinguished military career. As we mentioned, there were a couple hiccups along the way. In 1931, he violated diplomatic norms by publicly recounting gossip about Benito Mussolini. This is a crazy story. Mm. Allegedly, Mussolini's driving along. They they see a a, a peasant in the road, a, a child. Mussolini speeds up and hits him and kills him. And they're like, "What? What are you? What are you doing?" Oh. It, was one person matter in an entire yeah. country? It was his response. Anyway, ha 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 ha. Stop that! <laughs> it's awful. He passed along that story. Butler did. The Italian government protested, and President Hoover, who did not like Butler mm-hmm. at all, forced the Secretary of the Navy Charles Francis Adams the third to court martial him. Literally, they court martialed him. <laughs> he became the first general officer to be placed under arrest since the <laughs> Civil War. Ultimately. As he long said, as he apologized, hey, I'm sorry, and they they gave him a reprimand. They yeah. and they took the court martial away. Correct. Uh, if and, I keep doing it, will you take away my medals of honor? No, you're keeping them, asshole. <laughs> Damn it. In later years, he became widely known for his outspoken lectures against war profiteering, not against war like in general, yeah. but like profiteering the, the fact that war exists to make money. So he was yeah. against that. He was against U.S. military adventurism. If, if you're not familiar with that term, basically the fact that we go out and do things just to figure he, out if there's. He was against the fascism uh, as he looked at that in America from that. That's exactly right. So. I mean, this guy is a certified badass. You're probably wondering why we told you about his history. Well, we wanted to lay the groundwork so you can understand why he was chosen as his part in the business plot, what that meant, and everything else. So, like you said, he was a badass. But how did he go from war hero to potentially participating in a plot to overthrow the U.S. government? That's what we're going to talk about after the break here on Hysteria 51. He really wanted them to take those medals back. <laughs> they tickle. I don't like them. Take them back or I'm overthrowing the government. Hola, David. Me amo Brent. Bonjour, uh, Brent. Je m'appelle David. You didn't do Spanish. I thought if we were going to do this together, we'd do the same language. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that's uh, that's on brand for us. I, that, I, I just thought romance languages yeah. was the key. Everything I say is romantic, and that is thanks to Rosetta Stone. You guys, we, we've been touting these things forever. We love Rosetta Stone. And we actually are users. David, you've really been using it even for longer than I. What's your experience been like? Oh, it's been great. The thing is, uh, you really get to learn how to speak and think in that language with it. So 
it's very high on pronunciation too. So <laughs> you can, you know, learn how to speak. And you know, our show is all about proper pronunciation. <laughs> In that pronunciation. Yeah, that's right. But it's, it, they design it for long-term retention, you know, it, and yeah. uh, if you don't get the pronunciation right, you, you say it until you do. And then, you know, that, that just seeps into your head. Well, and that's why, you know, this has been trusted by experts for 30 years and, there's over 25 different languages that you can learn and people, millions and millions of users use it because like you said, it does seep in and you're using it with, you know, you get speech recognition and mm-hmm. it, it hears you. You get to use like the built-in true accent features that gives you this pronunciation, which is super convenient and you can do it at your own time. And I don't know if you can know this, but I'm all about value and you get a one-time purchase, 25 languages. If I learned all 25 languages, I'd be so confused. Or really cool. <laughs> I have to go in and out. But you'd be real marketable. But literally, though, this is something that we use, and we have both of us have given the seal of approval because we wanted to do this long term, and uh, it's something that uh, it works, you know. And we don't yeah. we don't do long term um, stuff like this, and this is this is the one that we've chosen, and we love it. So, all you guys got to do don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now, as we've told you a thousand times, and it's always now, right now. Get now. started. For Larry, limited time, his Air 51 listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. How much? 50%. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your unnatural life. Wow. Redeem, redeem, redeem. How do they do it? Rashate, you're oh. 50% off. <laughs> Rashate. <laughs> redeem it. 50% off rosettastone.com slash today. Do it today. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when Brent and I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, we thought, man, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. Brent is trying to plan right now and says that it works like a charm from Chicago to Nashville as he makes his big old move. Mint Mobile is working for him. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. So ditch the overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash hysteria. That's mintmobile, M-I-N-T-M-O-B-I-L-E dot com slash hysteria, H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash hysteria. $45 upfront payment required. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. He was all over the place. Brent got a participation award in second grade that you couldn't wrestle away from him if he was dead. Mama said I deserved it. 
<laughs> and this guy wants to give back two medals know, right? of honor. You always hear about that stuff. That's always crazy to me. Like, um, I, I get, you know, maybe not wanting to, to brag about it, but, you know, keep it. Keep it. Keep it to yourself. Uh, Forrest Gump. He gave it to Jenny. I think there are certain people that that recognition actually feels uncomfortable. Absolutely. It could be because you have some form of of social anxiety. It could be, you know, you're introverted of some some way or another. Or it just could be like, you know what? War changes a man, take and I don't want anything a part of just it. Take you know? the spotlight off of me. Right. Yeah. But anyway. It, uh, yeah. A, a few things transpired in America in the 20s and 30s that led to where we were in, in the the starting of the business plot. Yeah, we got we, we we're we're continuing to set the stage to explain how the business yeah. plot could have happened. The first was the formation of the Bonus Army. So the Bonus Army in the 1920s, there were a ton of out of work veterans and they had left their lives, jobs, et cetera, to go off and fight. They returned home debt feeling economy and no job prospects so the federal government decided to award cash bonuses to almost all of those veterans uh, i mean as long as they had fought like before 1918 or something like yeah. that and uh so they passed this awesome act called the world war adjusted compensation act of 1924 yeah yeah and guess what so all these people got back on their feet because that money was given to them immediately and it really turned and it helped the economy around. and oh wait yeah, no, no, no no there's no. a problem with that they gave it out as certificates Certificates that acted kind of like bonds, and so they needed to mature. Okay, no problem. Here's the problem. They weren't set to mature until 1945, 20 years later. Hey, listen, we know you're hurting. In 20 years, we're going to give you a handout. Good luck. You just hold on to this bad yeah. boy. Uh, that, that there, that's worth a nickel. <laughs> so you, as you can imagine, there are a few veterans who weren't exactly in love yeah, with that co- type yeah. of compensation. Enough, to, enough for them to rally. So in June of 32, approximately 43,000 marchers, 17,000 of whom were World War I veterans, their families and affiliated groups protested in Washington, D.C., and this group became known as the Bonus Army. It's like, think of like all the marchers. You see that all the time now, but this was literally done by former military people. And not only that, they didn't just march that day. They 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 set up shop. Uh, it was yes. pretty, it was pretty embarrassing for the federal government because they literally posted up across from the White House. They posted up as literally a tent city. A tent city. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's exactly right. And supporters and sympathetic onlookers participated as well. They might not have been in the uh in the actual war they're talking about, but they but they still participated and they felt bad. Uh one of those sympathizers uh was you guessed it Smedley yeah. Butler. He arrived in mid-July, the day before the Hoover administration actually went to evict the Bonus Army from that area we were talking about across from the White House. He walked through the camp, spoke to the veterans. He told them that they were fine soldiers and had a right to lobby Congress just as much as any corporation. He spent the night. Well, no, dumbass. They don't have money. It takes money to lobby. <laughs> what a dumb. He earned the name Smedley right there. <laughs> So he spent the night, he ate with the men, and in the morning he gave a speech to the camping veterans. He instructed them to yeah, keep... The, the, the speech was, fuck, they're coming, run! <laughs> because that was the day they sacked them. But keep Duck! going. They keep going. Uh, to keep, he told them to keep their sense of humor and cautioned them to not do anything that would cost public sympathy. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, don't, don't be assholes, basically. Mm-hmm. On July 28th, though, Army Cavalry units led by General Douglas MacArthur. Yeah, never, that, that never MacArthur. Never heard of him. Never heard of him. Disperse the bonus army by riding through it and using gas. During the conflict, several veterans were killed or injured, and Butler declared himself 
afterwards a quote Hoover for ex president Republican. Yeah, what a what man? Can you imagine? You're talking about a camp full of veterans, and the U.S. Army goes riding through on horseback, killing people, yeah, gassing it's, it's them. It's hard to fathom. But then again, it's not. You know, you, you, you see brutality in, in today's world. Hopefully, though, on that grand of scale, though, we would have toned it back a little bit. They were Well, what it was, they, they hated the press they were getting from it so much. They just, like, make it go away. MacArthur said, I'll do it because he was an asshole. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he did it. Yeah. So then you got FDR and the New Deal. Maybe you've heard of that before. So, yeah, the bonus army was yeah. the, the one thing that led to this the business This is the second plot. one. Here's another, another part. During this time period, there was something else going on that created the atmosphere for the business plot, the Great Depression, and subsequent recovery. That is kind of a big point in our history as a nation. And we could spend multiple episodes talking about the Great Depression, its causes and how we got out of it. But here's a few facts we're going to talk about to get you, you need to know. This is the, what you need to know to yeah. get to the business plot. So the Great Depression was a worldwide economic collapse that begun with the U.S. stock market plummeting in September of 29. By the time it was done, unemployment had spiked to 25%, with some areas seeing one-third of their worker population without a job. Several banks failed, and our economy as we knew it was on the verge of collapse. Now, you think about this stuff. This is when all those stock market people started jumping out of windows. They were rich people, and then all of a sudden they had no money, and they're like, I'm not going to deal with this, deuces, and jump down windows and kill themselves. They say the gross domestic product, the GDP, shrank by, I think they said 15%. As as a correlation, just to draw a comparison Mm – you know, we had the the recent Great Recession in, in yeah. 2007, 2008, shrunk by 1%. Yeah, think of that. I Holy mean, that, it, it's, it's a huge difference. Mm-hmm. But you know who came in and saved us? FDR. Yeah, yeah. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, our 32nd president. Now, he was a badass in, in his own right. Uh, he's actually regarded by scholars as one of the three greatest U.S. presidents, along with George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he did a lot from, from helping us here all the way through... World War Two. Now, FDR knew he had to fix the country quickly because, as you said, Brent, we were on the verge of economic right, collapse. Right. So he instituted his New Deal. It, and if you're not familiar with the New Deal, it was a variety of, of public programs designed to produce relief, recovery and then reform. Yeah. Two big things he did in the New Deal are thought to have led to the business plot. So the first one is through a series of laws and executive orders. He and his government suspended the gold standard. That's a big one. Yeah. That so, is a big one that you've probably heard a lot of people bitch about even to this day. And so the gold – first, let's talk about what the gold standard very, was. Very, very simple. Yes. Every dollar had a dollar's worth of gold to back it. So every every piece of, of, of money we had was backed by gold. So it, it wasn't baseless. It and was, the, but the problem with that is there's only a finite amount of gold. And so economies need sometimes to have liquidity injected into them. Mm-hmm. They, they need the ability to expand and to grow. Now, this isn't an economics class, but let's just say that that's necessary. You can't put more money into the economy in order to, to print more money and allow for inflation, which all economies need, mm-hmm. if, if you're backed by the gold standard and you haven't found more gold. Yeah. That's right. impossible. Right. And so a lot of people believe that that constriction helped lead to uh, the Great Depression. Yeah. And the other thing is in offering of the government programs, he was spending a lot of money. This is part of the New Deal Part 2, but like Social Security, 
that's not free. Yeah. That's money. That comes from yep. somewhere. So where would the money come from? Well, you tax the rich. Congress passed the Revenue Act of 32 five months before Franklin Roosevelt won his bid for the White House. But key elements of the law, including an array of regressive consumption taxes, remained a cornerstone of federal finance throughout the 1930s. And in the 1932 Act imposed the largest peacetime tax increase in American history. Congress expected it to raise roughly $1.1 billion in new revenue much of it from the rich. And lawmakers raised income tax rates across the board, with the top margin rate jumping from 25% to 63%. Overall, effective rates on the richest 1% doubled. FDR actually did what people talk about today. They, they talk Take about, the money. Ta- uh, you know, let's, if we need more money, let's tax the rich. And yet it never winds up happening that way. Yeah. Uh, that's what they actually did. In fact... This is a really cool, interesting side note. You know, the most, the the richest person in the country by a long shot back Mm -hmm. then was Rockefeller. They actually created a tax category that only applied to Rockefeller. Right, right. (laughs) As you do. I mean, it was crazy. Rich people didn't like it. Big big surprise there, right? Another rich guy who didn't like it, you heard from the intro. Let's listen to that clip again. William Randolph Hearst. If you're not familiar with Hearst, he owned a bunch of newspapers. Mm-hmm. He was a big media mogul. My friends, this whole system of income taxation has degenerated into a racket. Because the you're stealing sooner my money. this impudent, intrusive, despotic, despotic, discriminatory, and perhaps revolutionary system of taxation is repealed, the better it will be for the honesty, the industry, the wealth, and the welfare of the whole American people. Notice he doesn't even bother saying it'll actually be better for the common man. He says, he literally says better for the wealth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a slippery slope there because you want to be able to tax, but when does taxation become theft? And that's the way that a lot of people looked at it. And the country was at such a time then where it was do or die almost. So I can see not wanting to have my money chiseled away from me by literally like 60%. But guess what? Uh, when America goes bye-bye, what are you going to do? You try to buy up and start your own country? It doesn't work that way. It doesn't, doesn't quite work that way. So what do you do when you can't just bitch about it like that and have people do it? You overthrow the government. That's all you do. You coup. And they planned achieving just that. They were going to try to do it. And we're going to tell you how after the break on Hysteria 51. I'll tell you how. Robots. You know how he clapped for effect. Yeah. We, we should do that more. <laughs> Nation, we are back. <laughs> get that effect right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've been telling you a lot of this stuff. And the reason is we're building it up for the plot. This whole conspiracy. This is a straight up gangster conspiracy in and of itself. But you have to understand everything we've taken you through so far. So the plot makes yeah, sense. Yeah, we got it. You know, the, the America was in shambles and the people that were getting treated poorly were the veterans and the people that were seeing themselves getting treated poorly were the rich as well. FDR did all of that to bring America back from the the, the precip- destruction, precipice so, oh, yeah. of 
of destruction, right? And uh, and they didn't like it. it, even though even if you were to say to them, and I, I truly believe this, even if you were to say to these people, this was the only way to save the country, many of them would have said. I don't care. Very much so. Very so much. these but, were the robber baron era still. These yes, people were yes, yes. billionaires when thousandaires were impressive. And another thing that we haven't even brought up that happened during this time period were a lot of the monopoly laws mm-hmm. that went into, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, you could no longer own an industry. Rockefeller yeah. Rockefeller was was Ugh. well known to have said to Congress, why would you let anyone else do any of this when I do it so well? I'll do it myself. Also, FDR was famous for taking the money off of free parking. Ah. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that. Another reason is I would have went with that as the third for the business plot, but, you know, you do you. Yeah. <laughs> you know. They say that's not even a real rule. <laughs> I disagree. Well, you know, you, you play how you like. But back to our hero, Smedley Butler. Uh, thanks to Timeline.com for some of the details yeah, on the Yeah, they really here. broke this down pretty concisely. So his part of the business plot began on July 1st, 1933, uh, the day he met with two members of the American Legion. They had, they also Back had, when it was the real Legion. Yeah. <laughs> Legion, the Legion of Boom. Yeah, ooh, there you go. The, the, both of these guys had ties to uh, Wall Street bigwigs. Anyway, their names were Bill Doyle and Gerald McGuire. Neither of those really float my boat. There's no smedley there. Well, think about it this way. What's, what's short for Gerald? Jerry? Jerry McGuire! Oh! Show me the money, son of a bee. It was right there and I missed it. That's all right. So at the time, Butler was a pretty popular guy. He was. Uh, He mostly war hero. Not only was he a war hero, but jingled when he walked because they made him wear his shit all the time. He had to wear his medals. Also because of his advocacy for veterans, you know, and obviously it tends to be a positive thing amongst the Mm -hmm. populace when you're an advocate for veterans. So Doyle and McGuire wanted to harness this when they asked him to appear at the Legion convention in Chicago. This whole thing was as part of a campaign to undermine the body's leadership, the American Legion's Mm -hmm. leadership. Butler was sympathetic. I mean, he understood what they were saying at that point. Uh, He had long known the Legion's capacity for ignoring its members. Yeah, yeah. And so in the second meeting, McGuire, a $150 dollar a week bond salesman proposed Butler bring along a few hundred veterans for support and showed him bank statements amounting to $106,000 to pay their travel expenses meaning he's got some deep pockets behind him so he's not he's not fronting this bill That's over $3 trillion in today's money. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not true at all. No, that checks out. I'm doing the math right over here. It's, uh, it, actually, it, it actually is a lot more. It's, it's, it's over $2 million yeah. in today's money. And that, that's a lot of jack for like, a veterans group that's a to lot have. Of, that's a lot of government cheese. <laughs> Call back. All right. So Butler thought so, too. He thought that was a little too much money for a veterans group to have. He also thought it was really weird that the speech they wanted him to give at the Chicago convention – it didn't have any kind of, you know, good populist pro-veteran yeah. rhetoric. Instead, it read more like an infomercial for the gold standard yeah. saying we needed to bring it back. And and that was that was obviously the policy. Gold! <laughs> How do I say it again? Yeah, exactly like that. And he had to use his pinky the whole time. I'm from Holland. Isn't that weird? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh. The the gold standard, as Butler's subsequent research would uncover, was a major concern for the country's wealthiest oh. citizens. Bankers especially did not want to be paid back on their gold-backed loans with cheaper, ever-inflating paper. That's how they looked at, uh, at, at that cash. Time. At that right. time, yeah. Right, right. So at this point, Butler knew that McGuire was taking orders from someone. As I said, you don't have pockets like that when you're a $150-a-week guy. Bondsman, right. 
Yeah. And he requested to speak up the chain of command as you do. And he was then met with Robert Sterling Clark, whose net worth of 30 million owed much to a recent inheritance of the singer sewing machine fortune. So you've, you've so probably he's heard a, of singer sewing machine. So yeah. he is a big who's who in the corporate and world. Unfortunately, Butler remembered Clark as a millionaire lieutenant from when they were serving during the Boxer Rebellion. Now, these millionaire lieutenants, they were cush jobs. You right. Know? Right, right, they, right. They were because they had money and they so used they their were giving a spot. Not because they had the ability, but because of who they were. Right. And Clark was blunt about his concerns. Him and his associate, Hope Butler, would encourage support within the Legion and perhaps the country for the reinstatement of the gold standard. And here's a quote. I'm willing to spend half of the 30 million to save the other half. Clark confessed, as Butler suspected, this appeared less and less to be about veterans' interests but really about their own pocket. Almost the antithesis of a veteran's interest because yeah. the lack of gold standard was helping veterans. So Tom Cruise then met with Butler. I'm sorry, Jerry Maguire <laughs> then met with Butler again after an overseas trip to make an even larger proposal. Yeah, come on now. Come and, on, we're going to so, work with you. So, so now Maguire was willing to admit a little bit more. He said, yes, it was true that the money came from a coalition of concerned captains of industry. Mm-hmm. At the moment, they had invested $3 million in the project, and McGuire estimated that he could raise another $300 million if need be. Uh, what, <laughs> think about that. I mean, $300 million, that's like $112 gajillion yeah, today. Yeah, that, that, that number didn't really like make any sense to them, probably. Like, what? <laughs> what? Literally, that's... That's like the nation's budget. Like, come on. If you just gave that money to a nation, it would probably turn us around. (laughs) We're done, yeah. But what he wanted, he told Butler, was for the major general to assemble a paramilitary force of 500,000 veterans and to use them to throw President Roosevelt out of office. As you do. I I don't know, but that's a hell of a Rolodex. (laughs) All 500,000? I'll I'll, I'll send out my pictures. Were there many more veterans than that? I know, right? And they were World War One veterans, so they're they're they've been out of. Well, I guess Mil- I mean, well, the ones that are out have been out for, for almost twenty years, or no. what, fifteen to eighteen was. Yeah, fifteen years. And this is nineteen thirty. You know, with the war, the war ended nineteen nineteen. No, and this was what um, nineteen thirty three. Almost twenty. Some of them because some of them have been out for longer than that. A lot of these people that that were going to fight weren't only the ones that were wanting the money, they were standing up with other veterans. So right, he was right, trying right. to get as many people, you know, some of these were older men by this time. Maguire the- then informed Butler that the press would soon make an announcement about this League of Businessmen, that they were fatigued by the president's reckless economic reforms. They planned to plant stories about Roosevelt's ill health and expected the president to comply with orders from his fellow captains of industry to hand over the highest seat of government. He would be permitted a ceremonial position as president, quote unquote. But Butler and his allies would steer the country in the proper direction. Isn't it interesting that they use stuff like that even to this day? Like, oh, it's failing health like or or, or body issues, you know, like Trump has small hands and Hillary's sick and things like that. Yeah. They still use the same things on both sides as tactics to garner hatred amongst the, the people to- out there. Anything to inspire distrust. Right. Oh, gosh, if we, you know, if this person's of ill health, then can mm-hmm. they lead the country? Yeah. So Butler was kind of uh, thrown off by this. Yeah. An astounded Butler debated where to turn first. He obviously wasn't moving forward with this. He just wanted to figure out who to tell. He decided to enlist a liberal Philadelphia paper to verify the details of his story. The paper sent their star reporter, French, who feigned an anti-Roosevelt sympathy to interview McGuire. 
Maguire. Hey, fuck Roosevelt. Want to do an interview? Oh, sure. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and Maguire was candid about his views and details of the plot. He mentioned that the Remington Arms manufacturer would supply the army thanks well, to the yeah. working relationship with the DuPonts. Yeah. DuPonts have never done anything evil unless you're, you know, a wrestler on Team Foxcatcher, but that's a that's a different story. Let's leave that there. Um, <laughs> DuPont, John DuPont killed, uh, what's his name, the, the former American wrestler. Oh, the Steve Carell movie. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah he did. Yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about now, yeah. So here's the quote from McGuire. We need a fascist government in this country, he told the reporter, to save the nation from the communists who want to tear it down and wreck all that we have built in America. The only men who have the patriotism to do it are the soldiers, and Smedley Butler is the ideal leader. He could organize a million men overnight. <laughs> now, so, wow. Yeah, now that he had a, a second witness, Butler brought his story to the feds because obviously this is true so the committee began hearings on november 20th 1934 that's when they formed that committee we were talking and about to be perfectly fair to mr mcguire butler said he didn't seem bloodthirsty he felt that such a show of force in washington would probably result in a peaceful overthrow of government also called a bloodless coup right uh that guy french he corroborated butler's testimony and gerald mcguire however denied everything but that the legion solicited butler's support for the gold standard because that's hard to say because they were outwardly supporting that so a few days later the story actually hit the news cycle and uh, one of the one and there's a lot of headlines you can look them up one of them read three million dollar bid for fascist army baird <laughs> they, they were so much more poetic with their uh, headlines back then well they had to because they they didn't use any of it on naming people <laughs> you know so they had it they had it in spades a lot of the which was uh smedley's brother spades <laughs> <laughs> that's actually wouldn't be a bad name spades i like it yeah spades go w- for what's it. your name Sp- I'm, my name's spades see oh, oh sam spade that's what i'm thinking of spades go forth private eye <laughs> anyway all right so a lot of press is called bullshit on the story that uh qu- here's a quote from the new york times details are lacking to lend verisimilitude to an otherwise bald and unconvincing narrative the whole story sounds like a gigantic hoax. It does not merit serious discussion. Do you think that's just because the the people that were being blamed were so rich that they were saving face? Like, or do you think that they just didn't believe something like that at that time could happen? Because you have a war hero and a respected journalist coming forward and saying this, and people are going, no, I don't believe it. And this is at a time when you believed your government. A lot more than you did now. That's what's crazy. I know it's a crazy conspiracy, but man, it's 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 surprising. And, and I think that money had a lot to do with the the probably the media's reaction even at that time. Well, and uh, so much of them also the media was owned by like William Randolph Hearst owned a ton of newspapers at the time. Right. He didn't own the New York Times, but so many news outlets were owned right. by Hearst and others that they were helping control the narrative. That's too. what I mean. Yeah. It's yeah. Just same as then as it was now, yeah, as one right? might say, you know, and so you're probably going to be shocked by this, John, but the accused, they said it was hogwash. <laughs> no. You got this banker, Grayson M.P. Murphy. Uh, you know what M.P. stands for? I don't. No, I'm either. I was asking. <laughs> He called it a damned lie, and he said he wasn't able to stop laughing at the thought he, a prominent citizen and veteran of the Spanish-American War, would attempt such treason. And Thomas Lamont, he was also implicated, he called it perfect moonshine, too unutterably ridiculous to comment upon. By the way, uh, you mentioned Thomas Lamont. You said he was a banker. You know what bank he worked for? 
J.P. Morgan. Oh, well, yeah. So you've got these people like Lamont saying it's too ridiculous to even comment on. A wise man once told me that if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. <laughs> In September of 34, the newly formed American Liberty League, made up of leaders and captains of industry, opposed to the president and his handling of the Depression, released a statement. Among its members, keep in mind, were the DuPonts, S.B. Huh. Colgate, you might have heard that name before, Sewell Avery, yep. John Raskub, Alfred P. Sloan, and former Secretary of State Elihu Root. <laughs> now we're getting ready. Elihu Root. Uh, also on that list... Robert Sterling Clark, the singer heir we mentioned earlier yeah. that had met with uh, Smedley. Yeah. As well as Grayson M.P. Murphy, you, who you mentioned earlier, who was, by the way, Gerald Maguire's boss. Oh, of course. Right. Yeah. Right. Also implicated in the plot was Al Smith, former New York governor and 1928 Democratic presidential nominee, as well as, you're going to recognize the last name here, Prescott Bush, mm-hmm. a banker and uh, future future Connecticut senator and father to George H.W. Bush and grandfather to George W. Bush. So you're looking at this, and no wonder they put in there, this was probably true, but uh, nothing doing, and stamped it, because it reads like a who's who of control of the nation. Right. And let us, let's say, that was those were just the members of the American Liberty League who put out a statement vehemently denying this whole thing. It's not necessarily proven that they were all involved in league with Jerry Maguire. Uh, but there's other names, too. J.P. Morgan and yeah, things like yeah, that. Absolutely. You know, he was part of the chase. And anyway, of all of these. Oh, God. Of, of all of these wealthy and prominent people, none were called to testify. And none of them, of course, were punished. Why would they? They, they, they owned it all. You know, of course. So Butler, on the other hand, he went on to get even more well-known and rise in popularity. He sp- he spoke and, and wrote about uh, populism and, and pacifism. He even wrote a book in 1935 called War is a Racket. <laughs> That's awesome. He was kind of ahead of his time of seeing how, like we said before, war profiteering. Right. You right, know, right, right. And Which I, we like we know is a real thing. It's just amazing to me that he was willing to speak out on a lot of this stuff. Only recently has put the public learned of a letter to Congress that was sent from an official at the company building the Hoover Dam. In the letter, the writer warned of a plot by, quote, American Fascist Veterans Association to overthrow the president. Where they keep throwing bodies in this bitch. (laughs) I mean, Jesus. The screams, they haunt me as I sleep. (laughs) <laughs> so so to cap this thing off, we mentioned before in 34 that Butler testified in front of, we'll say it one more time, the United States House of Representatives Special Committee on Un-American Activities. Again, no one was prosecuted. So after he did that, he spoke publicly about it. Let's listen to that clip one more time from Butler. Smedley himself. I appeared before the Congressional Committee, the highest representation of the American people under subpoena to tell what I knew of activities, which I believe might lead to an attempt to set up a fascist dictatorship. The plan as outlined to me was to form an organization of veterans, to use as a bluff or as a club at least, to intimidate the government. Now, I just want to go on record as saying behind him is the giant flag of his tattoo, the anchor globe and eagle right behind him, which he has prominently across his chest. The only way this would be better is if he was sitting there shirtless. Shirtless, just, yeah. (laughs) And break down our democratic institutions. That was just a, the upshot of the whole picture. thing was that I was supposed to lead an organization of 500,000 men, which would be able to take over the functions of government. I talked with an investigator for this committee who came to me with a subpoena on 
a Sunday, November 18th. He told me they had unearthed evidence linking my name with several such veteran organizations. As it then seemed to me to be getting serious, I felt it was my duty to tell all I knew of such activities to this committee. My main interest in all this is to preserve our democratic institution. I want to retain the right to vote. I have the right to speak freely and the right to write. If we maintain these basic principles, our democracy is safe. No dictatorship can exist with suffrage, freedom of speech, and press. He was pretty well ahead of his time there. Everything he said, you're like, yeah, I can get behind that. We should still be able to vote, freedom of press. You stupid bastard. (laughs) You don't have any money, so you're (laughs) It's a good point. It's a good point. All he had was a name and a tattoo, and it got him far. Not far enough. Not far. Not far enough. Yeah. No. No action was taken. They did not arrest anyone. They did. In fact, they they didn't prosecute anyone. And let us let us repeat what the end of that report said. In the last few weeks of the committee's official life, it received evidence showing that certain that certain persons had made an attempt to establish a fascist organization in this country. It then goes on to say, there is no question that these attempts were discussed were planned, and that might have been placed in execution when and if the financial backers deemed it expedient. Looking at the, the, the big question here is how widespread was the plot and how close did it come to actually being pulled off? Our story's hero definitely put a stop to it because yes, he made yes. it known. But without him, would we be in a different America today? Or was this the harebrained scheme of a few fringe businessmen that ultimately would have died on the vine regardless? You know, I don't know. We don't know for sure. But there's now uh, this historian, Sally Denton, she sums it up. The fascist plot, which General Butler exposed, did not get very far. But the plot had in it three elements which make successful wars and revolutions, men, guns, and money. Hell of a statement. It's a, I, it's a, it's a good summation of Do you of think what that it was, was as widespread as they thought, or was it a bunch of pipe dreams but the pipe dreams were at the top. You know what I mean? I, I, you know, it couldn't be a, a mixture of both. I mean, there's a reason they use a a, a bondsman to go talk to Plausible Butler. deniability. Exactly right. So, you know, if you're sitting there and, and, and you really believe that this president and this government mm-hmm. is stealing your money, um, you can, you know, take a few flyers, float some money out there, make sure it doesn't tie back to you. And, you know, if things start to come together and all of a sudden you catch wind in your sails, eh, who knows? I've been a part of many government overthrow schemes, both as the leader and as one of the, the minions. It's more fun to be a minion. It's a lot more lucrative to be a leader. Those are wise, wise words. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I mean, obviously, like, there are still some people, as you said before, there are still some people that say this this whole thing was BS. We know that's not true. The question is... Was it actually something being not only uh, paid for, but supported by J.P. Morgan and DuPont and all of those big and Prescott Bush? I I don't know if it went that far, but it didn't need to go that far to be a truly scary thing. It still surprises me that some people, even after Congress wrote it the way they did, will be like, "Mm, I don't buy it. I ran into that researching, and I'm sure you did, too, where people were just kind of throwing their, uh, I don't know. Like, how can you even throw shade at something like this when it is, like you said, even Congress came out and goes, yeah, yeah, that happened. And you still have people going, "Mm, no, not really. I don't. I think the only uh, the the biggest problem with it is inherent in conspiracies. 
and that is there aren't multiple touch points for of corroboration. You really are trusting Smedley Butler here. I mean, yeah, there was a reporter that sort of corroborated what McGuire said, but even if McGuire definitively said that, he's just a guy. Yeah. He's not. He's nobody special. Yeah. So you only have really one person here making these claims, but that's also the problem with almost any conspiracy. They inherently they are conspiracies, <laughs> so therefore there aren't a lot of touch points involved in them. That's the point. How do you know? Well, by now, it'd be very hard to go back through the record and, and try to find out if anyone was really involved. But obviously they were. Obviously, Congress didn't want to touch with a 10 foot pole. You know what I mean? Because of who was involved. But they did go on record as saying it. So who knows? I guess the big question is what would have happened if it would have went through? It's hard to say. Would we have gotten the gold standard back? Would we have recovered as a nation? I don't think they could have. I don't think it would have worked. I don't think there's enough money because what they also need on top of that money is manpower. Do you yeah. really think you could get convince 500,000 Americans at the time in a country that was recovering mm-hmm. to go? The, they were whoever was behind this was after their own interests and yeah. their own interest of rich people at the time. Poor people and a majority of the country we're happy about the direction things were going. Things, yeah. were, things were recovering. So you don't want us to recover by taking this money? Like I said, you can look at it either way. You know, there there's a case to be made that, you know, maybe it should have been done different or whatever. But history's shown that that saved the nation. And so that's a hard case to sell. And it's a hard pill to swallow, too. But it's also a hard pill to swallow to think, oh, yeah, but we, we stripped all this money from people. There's no fairy tale ending to this. You know what I mean? Other than the fact that we recovered and... Uh, thankfully, there was no even bloodless coup. Well, and we know that the nation was behind him because he was he's the only president to serve four terms. Right. Yeah. I mean, th- they were behind him. He, he won in landslide victories. Glenn Delano. Yeah. <laughs> don't you just get mad and say that sometime? No, I don't know. It, it, it's one of those things where it's a it's a crazy story. It's a true story. And, uh, you know, Smedley had a, a, a crazy life. And you think of him as like he was still doing his what he thought, I think, is his patriotic duty of coming forward and telling the country going against his party. You know, you know, uh, and they were trying to get him to go against his party. And he came out and said, nope, 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 nope. So he wanted to wear the tattoo, but not the medals. There you go. So what do you guys think? Well, have you guys heard of the business plot? And if you had, tell us about your thoughts on Smedley. I want to hear everything you have to say about Smedley. How can they do that? The best way to do that is to hop on our Facebook discussion group, Hysteria Nation. Just Go to Facebook, search Hysteria Nation. It's as simple as that. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Hysteria51pod. That's our normal page. You can find us on Twitter at Hysteria51pod. Instagram, send us some pictures. We're always posting pictures on there, having a blast, using filters so that John actually looks passable as a human. Also, don't forget patreon.com slash Hysteria51pod. Extra episodes up all nights. You can get yourself I'm David Pumpkin shirts, pens, koozies, sniff John go forth for a mere $30. It's not a thing. It is. I might even cut you a discount. Send me a message. We'll see. But if you forget any of these things, you can go to hysteria51.com. That's a website. It is. And don't forget, also, you can call us and leave a voicemail, 773-669-7277. We're going to get back into those soon. Again, 773-669-7277. And you know what else you can do for this program? We haven't talked about this for a while. Leave us a review. Leave us a yeah. rating on iTunes. 
Just use your log- heart as long as your heart tells you five stars. Five stars, <laughs> but you can say whatever you want. Uh, in fact, Brent, let's read a few of our most recent. Oh, that sounds delightful. All right. Our first one comes to us from Hot Dog Champion. <laughs> I don't. Hot Dog Champion. I, I don't know how to take that. Five stars. The MST3K of Fringe Topics. Oh, interesting. Which I appreciate because last evening I went and saw MST3K live. It's their 30th Joel anniversary. Joel back under the MST3K moniker. That is awesome. Yeah, it was Joel and Jonah. So Mike was missing, but they, they were actually referenced Mike a lot. Riff was, tracks. He's yeah. got riff tracks going. So right, yeah. right, right. But he... uh it, and, uh, of course, there's new voices now for Tom Servo and Crow. Which throw me, but that's okay. Tom Servo sounded like the original Tom Servo. Mm-hmm. Crow is a little off. But these are, I mean, these are the voices that are in the, because it's on Netflix now. Yeah. It was really yeah. good. Anyway, I digress. Uh, let's get back to the review. I always look forward to my commute Monday morning knowing it will kick off with a new Hysteria 51 episode. Me too. I like listening to them. I, I listen. I listen as well. I'm just so drunk during the show, I don't remember them. That happens. The topics are fun, and although the crew provides considerable banter and sarcastic commentary, I still feel like there is an in-depth look into a subject rather than using it as satirical or roast fodder. The chemistry of the the chemistry of the crew makes it feel like I'm drinking with my friends, which I'm sure Seabot would approve of. (laughs) Glad to be part of the Hysteria Nation. I don't approve. (laughs) That's a good one. That is, you know, I, I always talk about people like. People do say, what's something that has worked on your show? And I'm talking to them about podcasts and stuff. I go, I think that John and I's back and forth are better. We've known each other for 30 some years. That helps in and of itself because uh, sometimes this whole show is banter. (laughs) <laughs> for the most part, while telling a story. So that helps. Uh, you should all feel feel bad for me if I've known him for 30 years. It's yeah, been... yeah, and never never getting the chance to kiss me. I, they understand. They understand. That's, that's, not, that's not where I was going. Exactly. You're never going to go there. It's fine. Uh, next up, five stars from Peck Fan Billy. Oh, fuck you. Uh, <laughs> Title, Sorry. title, what I need, review, Pecker, period. Hey, Billy, I'm glad you let us know. Thank you. Next one from Lonely Lura, five star, also the title of the review, five star. Love the podcast and the topics. Show is great to listen to even when working in the reptilian minds. Oh, well. Would yeah, give it that. another five stars, but Joe Peck and Seabot haven't fused into Peckbot yet. <laughs> You know, you can buy those now, I think. Some cities are starting uh, brothels with peck bots. That's a scary, scary. That's not a joke, though. Have you seen that? Oh, yeah, the sex robot Sex robot brothels and stuff like that. Who cleans them? What a lowly job. Jesus. Seabot, are you looking for a job? Yes. The cleaning part, I meant. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, one more from Orange Bro Sidon. My favorite part is the names. I love it. I, I always giggle. And Me you too. know that as time goes by, the names are going to get crazier and crazier because just everything's taken. Sorry, go ahead. Interesting topics. And it says dot, dot, dot. I can't read the rest. I'm on my phone. Sorry. I'm sure it was a wonderful title. Anyway, the show explores the vast. Oh, this is five stars, by the way. The show explores the vast phenomenons of the world as well as the supernatural. 
With such deep topics, they have a lot of content. The hosts waste no time diving in with their comedic blend of comedy, adding to the topic, as well as creating a show environment strong enough to stand on its own. That's awesome. It's funny. Is that's funny. We, we get to the topic pretty fast, I think. And some of the, the ones that we get are negative are like, there's maybe five minutes of the actual topic in the entire episode. I'm like, did you really listen to us? I'm not so sure you heard the right episode. Maybe you're on the wrong show, but that's okay. Those are awesome. Thank you very guys very much. And don't forget, we love it. Do it. It, it helps us with discovery. And you know what? It helps us feel good about ourselves. And John needs all that he can get. So uh, that is just, that so is just always remember he's a struggling father. He needs, <laughs> he needs external validation. I can't argue with that. So with that said, I've been Brent. I've been John. He's been conspiracy, but stay woke, meet sex. It was terrible. It was just terrible. I'll never get over it as long as I live. That's it for another edition of Hysteria 51. John and Brent will be back next week with yet more of the unexplained, the unexplored, and the unheard of. Oh, if it's unheard of, how will they know about it? Anyway, if you want to suggest a topic, give us your thoughts, or just make fun of Conspiracy Bot, that's my favourite. Join us in our Facebook discussion group, Hysteria Nation. Just log on to Facebook and search Hysteria Nation, or you can always tweet us at Hysteria51Pod. You've been listening to a fourth-hand joint.